Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wannabe Entrepreneur Podcast, the podcast about what's really like to bootstrap a company. My name is Tiago, I am your host, and I am a proud indie maker. Today, I decided to make a kind of different episode. I always like to, once in a while, just sit down and reflect on the things I've learned. I've done this a few times, more, I guess, tutorial, educational episodes. So today, that's my goal. I want to reflect on two or more than two years of indie hacking and what I've learned and what I believe to be a good recipe to have a certain degree of success. And yeah, let's just get started. So first of all, I think one of the first decisions a lot of you will have to face is, shall I quit my job or shall I just side hustle? Just keep my main gig and just on the weekends and after work, I will work on my, my side projects. I mean, this is something very personal. In my opinion, I really believe that indie hacking, starting something from zero, it will require 100% of your time. Because it's not only building the right product, it's as well, most likely, to learn. To learn how to be an entrepreneur. This is something that we mostly don't learn in schools. If you have a designer degree or a developer degree, <laughs> sorry to tell you, but you know nothing about business. I didn't know anything about business until I started this. And sure, I have heard a lot of podcasts around business and, and VC, so I kind of learned a few things. And as well, I've started my own projects in the past, but I think I have learned so much in these past two years that, yeah, I kind of consider myself as a new, or I consider myself as a new before this. So yeah, it, it took all of my time, to be honest. It took all of my time. A lot of my hours were spent in learning with this podcast, interviewing a lot of people, trying a lot of stuff, seeing other makers on Twitter, and reflecting a lot as well, and reflecting on the things that went well, and things that didn't went so good, and, and then kind of correcting them. And of course, then just building the project and doing everything around entrepreneurship, right? So marketing, and I think one aspect as well is mental health, and kind of controlling myself. And I guess I will, I will also cover that in this tutorial on how to become an indie maker. But I have also have seen people succeeding by keeping a, both a stable job and then a side project. A great example is Luca. Uh, I've spoken about him a lot of times here in the podcast, and he has had some or good success with his projects. He recently with a high voe. And um, in boxes, he reached more than 2K MRR. Unfortunately, because the whole Twitter API problem, he kind of go back and, and lost his progress. And now he's kind of starting from zero. Uh, but yeah, he has always kept his job on the side. And I always admire the fact that he's able to do both things because he's a great indie maker, a great developer, and a great product builder. But yeah, in my opinion, 
what I would recommend for people is save some money, right? Make sure that you have a good runway. I would say at least one year that you need to have savings or unemployment fee, whatever, that will last you for at least one year, if not more. I think this is really important because especially if you're starting from zero, if you're learning everything from zero, it will take time. Yeah, you might be lucky, but to be honest, this is a percentage game, a chances game. So in the end, yes, you'll be learning a lot, but you'll be experimenting and, and failing a lot as well. And it might take some time. So I think at least one year, it, it would be safe as well for your own mental well-being. And, and then just focus 100% in your project. It will also be easier to people around you to understand what you are doing and, and to respect. And, and it gives you a certain credibility. When I first started uh, my career, it was really hard for people around me to understand. My, my partner, uh, she, she definitely understood. Uh, but most of my friends and my family, they didn't because all of them live the nine to five lifestyle. And indie making, it's a different lifestyle. You don't have a job. It's so weird to understand it. So at first, I remember when my family would just say, okay, Tiago is taking some holidays. And they would just send me some companies that were hiring and stuff like that. So, yeah, it definitely helped when they saw that after the first four or five months, they saw, now he's doing this full time and he's, this is his new profession now. So, yeah, my recommendation for people is to... Do it 100%, but it's all up to you. You have to see it, and uh, maybe you can manage both. Maybe you don't have such a busy life outside of work, and you can manage to both uh, work in your uh, main gig and your side project. I did the 100% all-in, burn-the-ships approach, and it worked well. And uh, the reason why I'm not saying it works super well is that because there are also some downsides to this and that's the second part i want to approach here and as, as you can see these are all decisions this is nothing related to building the product itself we'll get there but this is all preparation this is all mindset which is also really really important so the way i describe entrepreneurship or indie hacking is imagine that you are running uh, a marathon or you're, you're running and you don't know when the finish line will be. So it's imagine it's a marathon, but instead of having the, a number, limited number of kilometers that you know you're about to run, you just don't know. You are just running. And it might be that the finish line will be one kilometer ahead, or it might be that it will be 200 kilometers ahead. You never know. So you, you also don't know how you should conserve your energy. Is it better to just go all in because you want to reach the finish line that is very near? Or if it's too far away, it's better to just keep your stamina. And that's a great, I think for me, it's a great metaphor, a great representation of what entrepreneurship is. And instead of, of course, running, you have other aspects uh, that keep you going. One is obviously money, your runway. And uh, it's, it's really important to see, okay, you have one year and you need to be able to stick to it and to find some kind of success in this year. And the other thing is your mental well-being. I kid you not, I was preparing for this for, I think, all my life. I always knew that deep down I wanted to be an entrepreneur. 
But the moment the last paycheck hit and I was officially unemployed, some kind of anxiety started to pile in inside inside of me. And that's also, by the way, why I started this podcast is kind of a way to vent and, and a way to reflect on my own feelings. But yeah, it's it's just it's unreal when you suddenly are out of the system and you know that you don't have social security, you know that you don't have an office to go or an office or or um, or a, a work job to go to rather. Yeah, it changes everything. And suddenly you know that for the first time, at least it was the first time in my life, I was reaching the end of the month with less money than when I started. And I, and it, it would not be just one month or two months, it would be for a year. It's crazy because you have been saving all of these years and, and piling and putting money in the bank or investments, whatever. And now it's kind of the opposite because you're just spending money. Obviously, you are investing in yourself. It's a kind of an investment. But yeah, you don't see the profits right away or you don't even know if you'll get them. So that's something that I've been learning as well, how to deal with this and, and mental health and and venting and, and sharing your feelings. All of this is really important. And also listening to yourself. So yeah, it's really like a, very often to see um, a lot of makers burning out. A great example uh, recently was Dagobert. He spoke about that uh, openly, that he was working on his startup for five years and he had two massive burnouts, I believe. So it's really easy to get there because, again, you feel bad when you're just enjoying or doing something that is not related to work, especially when you are not getting any money because you feel this is your survival. You are in survival mode. You need to get money before your runway runs out. So I felt always it was wrong. It felt wrong when I would go on holiday or even like enjoying weekends or, or, or even just watching a Netflix series and, and chill. Like that felt wrong. I felt that I should be working. And that, that can be really dangerous if you're if not managed well, because eventually, again, you'll burn out. And I think something that really helped me was to realize that um, resting is part of uh, the routine of a successful indie maker. Without rest, you won't be successful. And to be honest, a lot of times I was stuck in a problem or I felt down and I was just keep on pushing and pushing and pushing. But by just taking one or two days off and then getting back to that challenge, I would just fix and find solutions much better. It's sometimes it's good to just take take a step back and gain a new perspective. So, so that's something that I realized and something that I would definitely advise to people is to understand that rest is part of the recipe for success. If you do not rest, your chances of succeeding are lower. Because this is not a sprint, this is a marathon and you need to keep your endurance. Okay, so that's all the preparation. Now let's get into the real tips and tricks, more practical and pragmatic tips for for you that want to start a business. So, first thing um, is the um, audience first approach. There are many approaches, and I've I've spoken about them here in the podcast. Um, but one that I really enjoyed, one that I've learned when I first started building in public and interviewing a lot of people, was the audience first approach. So normally, and what I what I thought I knew before um, starting this indie indie journey was that you'd start with uh, an idea. Okay, you have an idea. 
and then you build something. And then I kind of realized that actually it's not the idea that you need to start with, is the problem. You need to solve a problem, which is true. But then I realized that it's much easier if you start with an audience. Yeah, so basically you have kind of an audience, um, a target customer that you want to serve. And if you have them and you learn everything you need to learn about them, like how to reach them, what are their problems, what are, what are their lingo, like how do you speak with them and everything, then you can just create an, or find multiple problems in that audience and it will be much, much easier for you to distribute to them. So uh, one great exercise that I learned from uh, Arvid Kahl when I first interviewed him is that if you want to find your audience, first look within you. And normally people just go and 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 try to do something that they're already good at. So Arvid gave a great example. He just said that uh, normally developers, they try to make tools for other developers because it's just the, um, the crowd that you hang out the most and, and it's what, what you are most co- comfortable with. But it doesn't need to be that way. You just look at all your hobbies, things that you enjoy. It might be playing chess. It might be playing music. It might be running. It might be, I don't know, podcasting. I don't know. You probably have your own uh, likes, things that set you apart, things that you not mind spending hours and hours just looking into that. Yes, that's your edge. That's your advantage. So just think about those things. And it's much, much easier, believe me. It's much, much easier when you're solving your own problem, when you're creating products for your own crowd. So do not try to figure out problems from audiences uh, that are not your your own because, yeah, you won't be able to understand it as well and likelihood of, of failing are, are is, is higher. So um, for me, as a great example, I started with climate change because it was a topic that I was really into that. Then I started this podcast because of that and now I'm building a project that actually is making me money around podcasting because it's something that I know about. I've, I've, I have my own podcast and I've interviewed other podcasters and I'm really into this. I love this and I love listening to podcasts. And to be honest, without even knowing, I end up finding this, this audience, which was really, really cool. Now, once you have an audience and, and you're ready to, to tackle that, you need to find a problem. And yes, I really believe that every product is solving a problem. If you're not solving a problem, there's no point. Like, you won't succeed. Of course, that uh, take my advice as a grain of salt. By the way, nothing is certain and there's no, like, one recipe, one recipe fits all, one solution fits all. No. Everyone, you'll, you'll find your own. So these are... These are all like my perspective. This is what I do for myself, but feel free to adapt this. But yeah, finding a problem. And uh, finding a problem is something that occurs naturally because if you're already part of this audience, like for me, I was already part of the podcasting world. I have my podcast. I have more than 300 episodes. So I know like what are my own struggles, right? So I was just playing around and identifying a bunch of problems. One thing that also helped, by the way, and this, this can be a bit weird, but do not feel that it's counterproductive to just explore cool stuff. Like, I started exploring GPT because I everyone was talking about it and I was curious. So just follow your curiosity. And I was basically going through GPT and, and implementing it in the community. And I knew that I was not solving any specific problem when I was playing around with GPT. I knew that I would not create a, a, a great product when I was applying GPT to the community, 
But I was fascinated about the technology and I started to understand the possibilities. And once you understand the possibilities of a new tool, a new technology, it opens a lot of new solutions for old problems. So actually my approach to, to PodSqueeze was my co-founder and I, we just sat down and we we're just writing ideas and thinking, okay, this GPT technology looks amazing. What problems can it solve that were not solved or properly before? So then I thought about, okay, my audience, podcasting and repurposing content. It's something that is really annoying. So maybe now with this new technology, we can provide a better solution for a problem that already exists. So yeah, once you have this problem, now it's time to, to find the solution. For me, I kind of started with, with a solution or rather I started with the technology, but then we, uh, we thought, okay, how can we fix this problem? Uh, and, and here you can also try to understand if this is a real problem or not. Uh, and normally, if it's a real problem, people are already trying to solve it somehow. If they are not trying to solve the problem, then maybe it's not that relevant. Think about that. So... Uh, for for me, like I know that there, you know, show notes. Everyone, every podcaster needs to write show notes. How were they save, solving this problem before? Well, depends. If they were big podcasters, they would hire a team or some content writer to write the show notes, timestamp everything. If not, they would just write them themselves. So, yeah, they were already solving or trying to solve this problem, but uh, it was not a great solution. I came up with a better solution. And now it's saving them tons of time. So um, I think that's also something really, really important to try to um, question yourself and share this with, with your friends. Again, since you are in your audience, just share. You probably know other people in your audience. I knew other podcasters. So I just shared this idea with them and, and realized like, hey, how are you solving this problem? And normally when it's your idea, you get super excited and you think now everyone is wrong your idea is the best, but always question that because most likely it's your brain just uh, like excited uh, with the dopamine of a new idea and the possibilities. But a lot of the times the idea is not as good as you think. So yeah, just ask around. But really, especially if you're a developer and or you can build products with no code, whatever, I wouldn't spend too much time doing research and this time, like, I remember before I used to think that I would need to spend like months um, just doing research and market research. No, like now my approach is I need to build an MVP in um, a week or so, not longer than that. And of course, this is only for indie makers. I understand if you're building something that is much more complex, I don't know, going to space, I probably you cannot do it in a week. But if you are building a web project, uh, chances are that you can build an MVP in sometimes in even less than a week. Uh, I, I was recently talking with a friend and we're chatting about this idea, having an idea for real estate agents. And we kind of figured out that he could create an MVP just using a form, like a Google form or a tally form. So um, he was kind of fascinated when I told this to him. He was like, oh, yeah, it's true. I could basically create a form and, and we could test the waters by just doing that. So, of course, it doesn't need to be as simple as just creating a form, but just think in what is the minimum set of features you need to already solve the problem or a part of the problem. When we first started with PodSqueeze, it was very, very simple. And it was not solving the entirety of the problem, but was already kind of 
giving a peek into what the solution would be. And uh, it was enough. It was enough to see that people were excited about it. And um, even if they are not ready to immediately start paying, you will find some traction. And and this is probably one of the biggest realizations I have come up. And, and I only... I only realized this like after two years of doing this, even though my interview, like my guests on the podcast, they told me this uh, uh, many, many times, which is product market fit. Yes, you probably already heard about this. It's when your product really solves a problem in the market and people are willing to pay for it. But it's it's not very, it's hard to define what it is. And I, I probably won't, won't do a great job doing it as well, but let me try to explain. So, before, in any other of my projects in the past, once I launched, I always felt that getting users, getting people to try it out was a hustle. It was really hard. I would need to DM people and convince them, and it would take me a lot of time. But with PodSquiz, it's different. With PodSquiz, people were lining up to try my product, even though it was shit, to be honest. It was kind of solving the problem a little bit, but... Uh, there was a lot of things missing, but people, they were excited about it. And immediately we saw huge traction. Whereas like in other websites, I would have maybe at first 10 people, 20 people per per day. Immediately with PodSquiz was different. We started with 50 and we went to 80. And we I didn't need to do anything to bring people to the website. I shared it like once or twice on Reddit and a bunch of places. And immediately I got traction. People coming and asking questions and requesting features and they, they were really patient as well. Like some, the, Of course, the product was buggy and there were things that were not working. Most people, when you don't have this product market fit, they will just bounce, they will leave, they will drop. But these people were different. They were DMing me, emailing me, using the chat, and they were just saying, hey, this is not working. And we would spend sometimes... I don't know if I don't want to say hours, but a lot of minutes, you know, would spend 31 hour maybe just trying to solve their problem. And there they will just be patiently waiting in a the chat. They'll be excited about this. And I, I've heard this from other people I've interviewed. I've told this before with Mark from Power Importer. He described this in the in the beginning of my journey, he described it. He said, like, you need to find a product that immediately gets like traction that you have never seen before. And I, again, I know it's not very specific. You can ask me, like, what is that, Tiago? It's like 100 people, 200 people. I don't know. It can change depending on the product, but you will know, believe me. If you have been building products in the past and you suddenly find some a product with this product market fit, you will immediately find it like that is different. Uh, the, the people are more enthusiastic to use it and the engagement and the traction. Everything is just easier. So that's my advice, just look for this, look for this product market fit. And with that, I mean, if you launch a product in a week, you launch the MVP and you don't get distraction and okay, you may maybe try to shift it, improve it a little bit. But if after maybe two, three, like a month, you don't get any traction, kill it, kill it and start something new. Really? I think this is something uh, that I made this mistake in the past like uh, with, with this community. And again, it doesn't mean that you don't like the product you're building. Like I love the community. I still have it. But it was not making enough money for me to live. Like It, it wasn't. I, I, I had some users, and that can also be tricky, by the way. It's easier to kill a project with no users than killing a project with 10 users or 20 users. 
uh, because you feel, okay, there are some people are using it, so if 20 people are using it, why not 1,000? Well, it just, it's just super hard to find users. And if, it's, if it was that hard to find these 20 users, think about how hard would it be for you to get 1,000. So, yeah. Um, one other thing that Thibaut, um, which is another maker that I interviewed here in the podcast, told me, and it makes sense, your first users are actually the most, excited ones. These are the early adopters, the ones that really need a solution for uh, your um, the problem and they are really willing to try it out. So normally, things will actually get worse, not better. Well, it really depends because your product is also getting better, but you know what I mean, right? Uh, if you, you have a product and you have a few people using it and then you see, okay, there's there was already some traction from the, from the start, it does not mean that it will continue this way because these first users, they are the ones that are very, very excited about their product. They are the early adopters, but yeah, maybe they are limited and it will just get worse. So that's really my approach nowadays. Try something. And what I do now is I give it a week with my co-founder. That's what we did. And with the project, the Indie Lottery, which was the project before the um, pod squeeze, that's also what we did. We said like, okay, in the first month, we need to reach $1,000 MRR. Or, or actually it was a newsletter. So we said in the first month, we need to get 1,000 registered um, you know, subscribers in the newsletter. And in the second month, we need like 2,000 or 3,000. And we waited and we didn't get there. We didn't get there and was we tried to still get some sponsors. We got some sponsors, but it was super hard. And we immediately decided, okay, let's kill it. And every week we would look at our progress and decide if we would give it one more week. And the same with PodSqueeze, to be honest. With PodSqueeze, we said, okay, first week, build an MVP. We did it. We launched it. And we saw some traction. And we decided to continue and give it one more week. And then one more week. And then we saw that it just took off. And if it, if it maybe after a week we would see or after a month we'd see now it's not working, kill it. And why is this so important? Because you as an indie maker, your biggest asset, okay, I will ask you this. What do you think is your biggest asset as an indie maker? Is it money? Is it money, what you're saying? Is it being, I don't know, in a rich country? What is it? Your biggest asset is time. Yeah, it, it, to be honest, it doesn't really matter where you are at because these are online kind of remote jobs anyways. Uh, sometimes if you are in a country where the, the cost of living is lower, it's actually better because you can expand your runway. But time, time is your biggest asset as an indie maker, as a bootstrapper. You don't care uh, about, you know, raising money. Uh, you just have limited time. You have maybe a, a year, year and a half until you need to go back and find a job because you need to pay your bills. Now, if let's say you have a runway of one year and... Each product, each of your tries, you take takes you six months. Then you can only try twice. Trying twice, you know, I, I'm not sure if I like those chances. You know, you only have two options, two opportunities to reach success. What if now, instead of uh, giving yourself six months per product, you give one month? Now you have 12 tries. Okay, suddenly... Uh, you, your chances just got six times higher. That's good. That's why a lot of people that succeeded, you know, Peter Levels, I don't know, Tony Dean, a lot of them, they just tried multiple things. 
They do the 12 on 12. They say like 12 months, 12 startups. No, eventually it doesn't take them 12 months actually. But um, yeah, they, they do this. So just be really good at killing your projects and, and, and be brutally honest with yourself. When you see that it's not working, uh, just kill it, try something new, kill it, try something new. Believe me, this is my ultimate advice and that's definitely what I'm going to do uh, going forward, either on new projects or even like with features for PodSqueeze. We just re uh, recently released a podcast finder, which was uh, some test, like uh, Juan, to be honest, he doesn't like it too much, but I like it. So the idea is that, okay, people can find new episodes to listen to. And that's exactly my approach. I build it in a week or so, we launched it, and now we're seeing if we're getting any traction. If we don't, we'll just immediately like kill it or just stop working on it or something. Yeah, yeah. by the way, you don't need to kill something with a community. As I said, like it's still running. I just invest almost no time in it. Uh, and now that's why I decided to hire someone. But now I don't expect to make money out of it just for fun because I have already something else making money, right? But if you don't, then you cannot afford spending time in things that won't pay the bills. It's that simple. Okay, then if you try a couple of times and you are open and you listen to what people are saying and you are critical, eventually I believe that you will find success. And I, I hate when people just say, yeah, keep pushing. Just keep pushing one, cut it. Because if you just keep pushing the same button, probably you won't get success. So that's why I say it's important to keep an open mind and try new things and try to realize why things, certain things are working and why other things are not. Once you reach this success and you have a product and you see that, you know, there, there is distraction, um, I think that you need to start automating your marketing efforts. So first of all, you need to find how to distribute your product. And here, for sure, there's no one size fits all. I have to be honest, like with the Indie Lottery, sending DMs on Twitter worked really, really well. And we were able to get people coming to the Indie Lottery just through Twitter. But then we did the same approach with PodSqueeze and podcasters, they don't care about Twitter. They, To be honest, I had people saying that they didn't even know that it was possible to send DMs. So yeah, Indie Hackers, they're always on Twitter. They understand Twitter. Obviously, then DMs work. For podcasters, DMs uh, do not did not work. What worked, as you know were emails. So cold emails work really well. And uh, this is cool because we were able to automate this. And here I need to give a lot of credit to João because immediately when he realized that we were sending thousands of emails, he, he kind of thought, okay, we cannot just, you know, take all of or find these emails by hand because this will take a lot of time. So he immediately started to find like directories and places where we could buy this domain, these uh, emails. And then I created a script and now every day we send thousands of emails and everything is automated. And we are doing this for months now and it's working. And then we started to planting other seeds. Like we are starting working on SEO. Uh, we did a big launch on Product Hunt. And this is something also that I want to talk about, like launching your product. When you are ready to do a big launch, sometimes I just do a soft launch where I share it with a bunch of friends. But when you're ready to do a big launch, either on Twitter or on, you know any social media or product hunt, the approach is a bit different than um, when you're launching a product. Here, you want to take some time to make sure that everything is fine. Why? 
I tell you. So when you first launch an online product, even if there's a bug, something that is wrong, you can just immediately fix it. And so it's fine. You have a lot of flexibility. A launch, you can only do it once, maybe twice a year. And that's it. So you better make it count. With Product Hunt, there's a lot of things and there's other episodes where you can go and see. I have some uh, strategies that uh, will definitely help you. But yeah, with Product Hunt, there's a bunch of things that you need to line up. And it actually, I think it takes you at least one week to prepare. You need to understand, like create nice uh, graphics and understand the path. When you're launching, what you want to achieve? Like, do you want people to go to your website? Do you want it to convert users? Do you want to get, I don't know, people to follow you on social media? You need to, th to think about the whole path because you don't want, let's say, to send your users. If you want to make money, make sure that your um, checkout is working properly, that the pricing is working properly, that people are already converting. Because if people are not converting before you launch on Product Hunt, why will they suddenly start converting when you launch? It doesn't make sense. So a launch is just an amplifier. It's like a megaphone. It's a way to amplify your, your reach. But things need to be already working beforehand. So, yeah, we, we did launch when Product Hunt worked really well. It's been now six months, so probably we'll launch again. Uh, maybe not necessarily product, uh, like PodSqueeze, but other maybe this Finder. Uh, but yeah, that's really important. And then we're just, you know, planting seeds with SEO and testing some ads, then testing a bunch of things, but trying to make it out autonomous, automatic, uh, because we don't want to keep, you know, DMing people manually or doing sales and stuff like this. So yeah, that's basically it. Then it starts growing and growing. And, and now uh, I guess I can speak a little bit about this new part of the business, something that I'm still learning a lot, which is uh, the operational and how to set up a company and everything. Um, one thing that I realized is that once you cross a, a certain threshold, which is you have now a bunch of paying users and your product is mature, and yeah, sure, there's still a big backlog of stuff, but nothing is super urgent. Now, it's like your dynamic changes. Now you're not the guy uh, or the gal that are just like coding like crazy or like building stuff. Now you are mostly making decisions and yeah it's a weird approach so i immediately uh i re we realized this with PodSquiz when we started to see that some of the services we're using the apis we're using they were just too expensive and at first that was fine because we're just building the products there are other priorities but now the the priority was to get better services they were cheaper and and faster and better quality and well you know because i've shared this on the podcast it took like months it took months. We had to interview a bunch of services and, and negotiate prices and test a bunch of different APIs and ask questions and work with them so that their service would work properly for us. It took a lot of time. And uh, since then, we have we had to do this with everything, with, with finding an accountant, with, I don't know, consulting lawyers, like figuring out how to set up the company. We're thinking on setting up the company here or in another country and like understanding taxes. Yeah, taxes are very complicated. And probably this is no surprise uh, for a lot of you, but like for me, it was. I, I knew I've heard people saying that it's complicated, it's a mess, they're very high. But now that I'm an entrepreneur figuring all of these things, I realized, yeah, they're right. It's so complex. And I yeah, we've been just researching and 
we we are very risk adverse people like Jean and I, and we try to make really conscious decisions and and really go deep in researching what we are doing. And this takes us a lot of energy and a lot of time. So just be aware that that eventually will happen. Like there will be this change on on the flow and the energy of your product. You are not in the honeymoon phase anymore. Now you have like a proper company. It is a company, you know, and eventually you might hire. You have like a lot of people depending on you. Your service needs to be up and running. And yeah, that's that's something that um, that you need to consider. And that's basically, I think that I've covered a lot of the aspects. Maybe I'll just cover one more, which is like if you have a co-founder, uh, working with a co-founder. So for me, it was also game changer to have a co-founder, to be honest. It's so much better when you have someone to share the journey with. And you know that entrepreneurship can be something really lonely. Again, people around you might not understand fully what you're going through. So having uh, someone that is there with you, someone that uh, can also like have your back when you are sick or you want to relax and uh, you can you know, um, split tasks and they work on something, you work on other stuff. That's really helpful. Finding the, the great co-founder is also really important. I knew Juan for like more than 10 years and we have been like working with each other in each other's projects for a long, long time. So I knew that we would work well together. But sometimes having a bad relationship with your co-founder can just literally kill the product. Even if it's a successful product, if you are not, you know, going along with the co-founder, I mean, if he or she owns 50%, you're screwed, right? So first of all, try to make sure that you know and you trust this person, that you have personalities that work. Um, mine, sometimes I get really picky and really stubborn with certain things. And I need João to be okay with this. And, and maybe as well for him, he's more picky with other stuff and he needs me. So we kind of complement each other. Uh, one other advice that I would give is just like, and I use this when like all of my relationships, or at least I try, uh, keep it like, just speak, speak about each other, uh, about anything that is bothering you really. If there's something that he or she is doing that you do not like, or that you think you can do better, just go and talk about it. It's so much easier to just openly speak about it. And to be honest, there were a lot of times where we talked about things that I was feeling that I realized, no, actually, I was wrong uh, feeling that way. Uh, a great example was when João uh, was still having his freelancing and plus working on PodSquiz and I was full-time. At some point, I started feeling, hey, this isn't fair. And we talked about it and I, I reflected about it and realized, no, it's actually not unfair. It, it makes sense. And and then I accepted it and we passed through that. Um, and eventually, by the way, he, he gave up his freelancing, but this time it was his decision and not uh, me forcing him. So... Yeah, this will happen a lot of times as well. Like we, I kind of realized that maybe I was not trusting him enough and uh, with branding and, and marketing, that's his field. So I, now I also changed my approach to like, yeah, th that's you. Like whatever you want to do it, do and I trust you. And I think I also have his trust. So uh, trust is really important. Talking about stuff is really important. And again, like it's, it's crazy how uh, like... Having a co-founder is like like fucking being married. Like, I kid you not, it's crazy. Like we talk every day, and we we have a company together. It's crazy because we need to trust that each one of us is doing 
like what we can to grow the company because we share 50-50. It would be unfair if I felt that I was bringing all of the money, right? So these kind of feelings you cannot have. So yes, you will be talking with this person a lot of times. You, you need to be comfortable uh, and you need to be able to share your feelings and listen and basically find a leeway uh, to make the company go forward. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, that's everything I learned in the past two years. Obviously, there's more detailed stuff. If you have any specific questions, feel free to send me at WBTiago on Twitter. And yeah, just shoot me a DM. I'm always there and I always check it out. If you want to talk to me in a more private setting, join the community. I have a community for indie makers. It's also a great way for you to support this podcast. It costs $10 per month. And the links will be in the show notes. And that's it. That's it for uh, Wannabe Entrepreneur episodes. And I wish you a great weekend. And uh, I don't know if you'll be resting or if you'll be indie hacking. But either way, go for it. And uh, yeah, I'll uh, see you next Wednesday. Bye-bye.